this is the Fram Jacket Podcast. Um, Fram Jackets are all about making jackets for exploring life. And this week we do some real exploring with a real adventurer, um, Alistair Humphreys. Uh, he is an adventurer on a big scale, going around the world on a small scale, just going into a forest for an evening, which we talk about. And he's a writer and he does uh, big speeches and he's just a really great charismatic guy and he does really well on this podcast i don't think i do very well on this podcast i think i was very tired and i think i was a bit intimidated and a bit thrown by the fact that i'm a bit of an oversharer and alistair really ring fences his family and his personal life which i think is very very sensible and so when i sort of try to dig deeper which is my one i can't sort of get stuck and i think you can tell so i sort of fill the space with my own crud Um, I think that's interesting. I definitely think that Al is interesting. This podcast is all about being real and not editing it out and showing it as it is. Um, And so I think uh, there's something to be learned from this, for me anyway. Um, But I think you'll enjoy it a lot. Al is awesome. Hello, Alistair. What are you having? I'm having a uh, pint of Samuel Smith, been led astray early. That's your second one, isn't it? Yeah. I am <laughs> <laughs> um, having two ginger beers in a glass with a shot of vodka because I'm basically intolerant to almost everything in the world, which is quite sad. Um, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm actually very happy today because I've just got a Blue Peter badge. It's a life goal for anyone of probably about our age. Get a, get a life, lifelong thing ticked off for my own Blue Peter badge. I, I was a massive fan of Blue Peter when I was a kid. Um, and I get the feeling you're probably a fair bit younger than me. But Blue Peter was basically the only thing that mattered on telly. Only thing on telly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, although there was ITV, but I don't think I was allowed to watch ITV because it was a bit lowbrow. I wasn't allowed to watch Grange Hill. Really? And I spent years denying that. But I now think I was probably in a playground full of kids who also weren't allowed to watch it. But we all pretended we were because it was too lowbrow. But it's low, but it's full of naughty children from London. It is, and and children who end up on Smack as well. It's pretty hardcore. Yeah, it's a bit. Yeah, that was a bit beyond my realm when I was seven in the Yorkshire Dales. Yeah, so I think I've just I've just aged you. You're not far off, but you're do, you're looking extremely well. That's a compliment for you. Um, and uh, how am I doing? You have to ask me. Oh, how are you doing? You I thought you were that asking I'm my opinion of it. <laughs> you want to be well. How are you doing? Oh, thank you very much. Um, I am well. This is what I was talking about before we start the recording. Is um, I got your book about micro adventures, and it's quite hard to hold it up against a sound recording device. But it was genuinely inspiring because I read a bit last night. Um, and then I read a bit on the train, so it's a bit rushed. It feels like my life is a rushed at the moment, which we might talk about in a bit. But um, uh, and it, it made me sort of think, or oh, hang about. I've got this camera in my bag, which would basically take a portrait of you. And um, I've got some spare time because somebody cancelled. And uh, instead of, because I really hate the tube, and I usually Boris bike around. I thought, hang about. I want to have a good think. And if I walk slowly, I'll have a better think and I'll see more. I'm just going to get this camera, camera out and I'm just going to take photos of stuff I like because photography was the thing I wanted to do when I was a teenager. And I, it's one of the things, things that gets dropped. My mum was a professional photographer. And um, I'm sort of in my mid-40s suddenly thinking about the things that give me more joy. And I was reading your book and... I had a nervous breakdown last year and, and one of the ways you recover is you start to concentrate on the things that matter instead of all the bollocks that's around you. And, uh, and so your book about micro-adventures and enjoying the countryside and the small things and little conversations with people, if, if that, am I right in saying that's a, a, pre, a reasonable pricey, is, is exactly the way I'm thinking and it, it really made me concentrate my thoughts. And to, to finish on that, is it made me go... Oh God, I am one of those people who always says oh, I've got 300 emails and I'm too busy to do stuff, you know, kids and life and work and all this stuff. But all I fantasise about is adventuring, so now I better go and do a micro-adventure. So that's basically a nice segue and a big compliment. Good, I'm glad you, yeah, it's about trying to just 
see things a bit differently, isn't it? Or seeing the opportunities rather than the things that get in the way and trying to squeeze adventures into normal, real life as well. Do you, have you had any feedback from the book or do you get people sort of hashtagging Instagrams that people have done it? I've had a lot of feedback from the book. It's been very, it's been one of the rewarding sides of it, of turning my essentially selfish adventures into something a bit more rewarding. Is yeah, People who have found through the book or the idea of micro-adventures the time to go get out by themselves or with their friends or with their kids or their family and just be in the outdoors and live a bit more adventurously and that's that's great to hear whether it's people who are because my um, originally I wrote a couple of books about cycling around the world and yeah. every so often I get emails from people saying I read your book I quit my job and sold my house and divorced my husband and I'm now going to go ride around the world and part of me thinks woohoo and part of me thinks oh, gosh I should have put a disclaimer in this book because that uh, whereas the micro adventure thing it's just a bit more of a, a gentle change. a little bit less responsibility yeah exactly um so to set the scene, um, we are sat outside a pub I used to go to, because I used to work at a film production company around the corner, and I lived in London, uh, called, and this is called the Yorkshire Grey. It's a very nice tiled old school pub. Um, it's quite quiet, it's an afternoon, and you've just been to the BBC, and you said, I'm Tom Blue Peter. I didn't know what you were doing the BBC, so that's super exciting. Um, are you feeling quite drained afterwards? Um, no, not really. You're, you're um, kind of used to that stuff now. Yeah, it's um, with greatest respect to Blue Peter, it's slightly um, autopiloty type of things for me. I was essentially talking about adventures that kids can go and do in their own lives, which is cool. But I I spend a lot of time talking about that. So yeah. turn the camera and say, right, talk about adventure, and I did it. So I was pleased to do it, but no, it wasn't a great. It wasn't like being interviewed by Paxman because I I did um, a BBC business interview about my old company uh, in February 2017 and I, I really really prepped for that. Um, I've done a few TV interviews and all of them either I've been jumped which is quite good because you don't have time to get nervous you just go there and that's fine um, or, or a lot of prep that was about three months sort of getting ready for it so I got really nervous but I find nervous is quite good it's kind of fun as well as long as you're actually prepared, which I was, and then I went on and it went pretty well. I was terrified and actually genuinely shaking underneath, but apparently it was all right. But afterwards, I was an absolute wreck. It's funny, isn't it? I sometimes have that with, I do quite a lot of talks, and sometimes the ones that I really care about and the ones that are really hard, I come out of it absolutely exhausted. And I feel pathetic saying that because it's not exactly like going down a coal mine, but it really does wipe you out. It's, um, I... I often say to people, because a lot of, maybe it's showing off or something horrible, but I genuinely enjoy talking in front of an audience or under high, sort of higher stakes. So my wife is a very, very confident, extrovert person, but she's absolutely terrified about standing in front of a group of four people to do a presentation, anything like that. Just does not want to do it. But I, I've always said, if you need somebody to just suddenly stand, stand in, I will always find something to talk about. Which unfortunately, yeah. Sort of byproduct of my my talkiness, but um, yeah, you. I know I know I don't know you very well, but we met on Skype because you put out a tweet about uh, wanting some help with marketing, and we talked about that. And actually, what I identified is your brilliant marketing. And the main reason is, and it's one of the reasons I'm so interested to talk to you, is because you're so genuine. Um, maybe it's all box, and actually, you're not the <laughs> person you make out to be at all, but. Um, a lot of I have this thing where I think marketing has become so sheen and so shallow that people just don't get into it at all and they don't believe in it and we're all quite intelligent we're all cynical enough now that it just bounces off I don't see the point in doing marketing like this and we talked about your problem in that it's kind of a problem in that you you have basically a life and a family to support and you support that through adventuring but you don't want to do that in a cynical sort of marketing way so you do it for me the perfect way which you are yourself you put jokes and uh in your emails and sometimes you don't get quite quite right and that just depends <laughs> on, you know the awful marketing word is authentic but did that come about because you decided to do it that way or you just started doing stuff and it ended up like that um i think it came about well the first time i tried to do anything 
self-promoting-ish at all was when I, straight after university, I set off to try to cycle around the world. And that was in the olden days of 2001, when I started what is now called a blog, but in those days was just updating a website. And I decided, the first update I did, which was quite early in the ride, very early in the ride, I decided that I was just going to be totally honest, which... I'd set off to cycle around the world thinking it was going to be a brilliant adventure and it would all be very exciting and heroic. And actually I set off and I basically cried my eyes out all the way down England because I was really homesick and really scared. How old were you then? 24. Right. Straight, straight up. Is this your first big adventure or first time away? or? No, I. so between school and university I spent a year in Africa and then... In my university summers, I spent three months each summer off in exciting places, riding my bike. But but going away to ride around the whole world for four years was a step up. Yeah, it was just because I was interested in the homesick thing. Do you think it was just intimidating, knowing knowing that what was ahead of you? Or um, yeah, it was intimidation of knowing the scale of what I was trying to do. So right. to essentially wave goodbye to everyone, saying I'll see you in between three and ten years, and. Yeah, so that was the sort of overwhelming side of that sort mm. of thing. And when I decided to write about it for the first time, I remember very clearly just thinking this is a very different to the, say, the Ronald Fiennes adventure update, right? which would be, oh, I'm off on a great adventure, isn't this fun? And I just, I don't know why, but I just decided that's not what I'm feeling, so I'll just write honestly. And so ever since then, and people like that, mm. so I've always just tried to write honestly about stuff. And I'm much better about writing honestly than speaking honestly. Um, and and then when I came to start to build a brand about myself, which is a horrible, nauseating thing. Was that a conscious thing to, thing to do as well? Were you encouraged well, to do it? Well, I decided in about 2008-9 that I wanted to try and make a living out of adventure. And therefore, in order for that to happen, people had to know about me enough to pay for life so I had to start which I did via blogging a lot really trying to build a blog you're quite pragmatic about it from the start yeah there was a website um, gosh some Australian guy uh, who slipped my mind now had a, a program called like 30 days of blogging or something um, pro blogger pro blogger uh, his website was and I he had this 30 day thing and I did that and I just went on a mission to basically I saw blogging as a 50% job even though no one read it and I didn't earn a penny right. I just spent 50% of my time writing my blog for a few years and gradually built up an audience and uh, and and then once I got to the point of it being a viable sustainable thing and then it was quite easy just to be completely honest in everything I write because I don't really care about my email. You know, a new email newsletter is a big thing for me, but if I mess up the formatting, yeah. it's not really a big deal. So I prefer just to make a joke of it and be honest about it and say, whoops, I've screwed up yet again. It seems um, quite a wise approach. It's not consciously wise, but I think it is wise because it makes life, in one sense, very simple. Because I yeah. just say whatever pops into my head, and if I messed up, then I say, oops, I've messed up. And if I go for a try and do some epic marathon run, but I get really tired, then I just say, oh, I got really tired. And rather than trying to pretend to be Mr. Tough Guy, mm. perfect adventurer, it's quite nice just to be who I am. And then the part that I hadn't really thought about was actually people really like that. Yeah. So, uh, ironically, it actually builds your brand and your authenticity and all these nauseating words by just being yourself. Yeah. All helps with that sort of thing. I, um, so I used to make commercials. Um, so I used to be part of a film production company and we'd be given car ads and coke ads or whatever. And we'd be the people that got it together and shot it. The agency would write it and the client would pay for it and all this kind of stuff. And one of the reasons I left that and started my own business was because I really started to lose faith in it. First of all, because I felt like a lot of that was selling stuff I shouldn't be selling. Um, and also because I felt that the I hate inefficiency and waste. There was a lot of waste in terms of you know uh, posh meals and all this kind of stuff. But waste in terms of you could you have, might have an amazing product, but nobody dared actually say it was amazing. Ironically, and so they'd say quite an anodyne message to be safe. And I thought in that safe way of saying something, you sell nothing. Um, 
does anyone really know the difference between Peugeot and Renault or whatever it might be? And and so this really stuck in my head. So when I created my Volpine, my Volpine, my company, which I bust last year, I think I hope that we were successful in the marketing and that we were. It was very much quite a sort of heart heart on my sleeve, and I did. I'm a heart on my sleeve uh, sort of person. Um, and I just thought the easiest way for me to do this is to be myself, which is hopefully to cross over with you is, you know, and I, I think that that will hopefully work for other people because then other people will go, well, yeah, I, maybe I can believe in that. What it does also do is more people dislike that, um, for me anyway, because I was saying more outspoken things about cyclists shouldn't jump red lights because, you know, it's bad for cycling society as a whole and how it's perceived. You didn't have to agree with that or not. Um, but but my sort of thinking about the brand was that you had to uh, put some people off to get some people. You couldn't just have a sort of perfect thrumming grey message of nothing. Please so, all the people all the time. Yeah, yeah. And so do you find you have any haters? I can't really imagine you having any haters, to be honest. Not really. I think I'm sort of nauseatingly nice and really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually, whenever someone does say something nice about me, sorry, whenever it says something unpleasant or unkind about me online, which I will definitely see because I spend way too much time worrying about that, right. my first reaction is to get all angry and I swear and shout. And then I just go for a run and I come back and I say, oh, well, thank you for your thoughts on this. And then I try <laughs> yeah. and write them a nice thing. So whenever, it, it doesn't happen very often because I'm, one, I'm not really in a very confrontational or controversial type world no. but every so often someone says something someone gets really annoyed at me and and it bothers me way 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 more than a thousand people say something nice um, but it doesn't happen very often yeah it's so weird that I mean I I remember like almost every negative yeah I do as well nasty comment mm. and that's such a that's a, such a shame I like, remember the names of people someone mm. wrote this really long angry anti-me blog post and I remember anti-you what personally like you yeah. were wrecking adventuring or no just that they said that I was a fraud and a fake and I pretended to be all Mr. Nice Guy but actually I was evil for all these ways right um, which I remember very clearly all the, all the things and the name and everything and of course they were pretend anonymous like did that stay with you well obviously well, I still remember but it, but it now did it bother you oh, it bothered me for a long long time yeah now, when I get bad Amazon reviews, that bothers me and bothers me and bothers me. Um, yeah, every, I think that's completely normal. And I'm, I get so little because everything I do is just sort of nice and, ooh, right. let's all go on an adventure. So I'm not really... And I couldn't be in a world where... I actually sympathise... When I think of someone like, say, Theresa May, mm. who's... She's doing her best in her own way. Yeah. I, I could not bear to wake up in the morning every day and just people go, rah, rah, rah. I just, that's just not me it, at all. It's bonkers. She must, I, I mean, that, I actually felt, feel sorry for her as well. I, I, she's not my politics and I don't agree with what she's doing as a whole. But I also, it's, it's almost, I mean, awe of her being able to take that. Um, it kind of scares me. I, I I'm not sure what I thought, but something interesting that happened yesterday was I was looking on Twitter, and I'm trying to I'm trying to get off Twitter be, in a way because I think it's becoming an increasingly toxic place, and it's not like it used to be, which a lot of people say. But I'm also I have a decent-sized following, and I like Twitter because it's also been a very positive thing. And I I met you through Twitter. I've met a lot of people through Twitter. It can be great, like life. Life is good and bad in lots of ways, obviously. But there was a thing yesterday, Katie Hopkins has been declared bankrupt. Mm. So, so I really, really loathe what Katie Hopkins is doing. It's, it's sort of, I don't even think, no, she believes in what she says. It's all about attention. It's all about, you know, I, I have decided to fund myself by creating anger, which I, is absolutely disgusting to me. But she's still a human being. I also believe that people who do that must be fucked up in some way. I mean, to do that, to make it your living and your life to create that is an inherently worrying thing for anyone, any human being to do. So I saw all this sort of, you know, lots of people I know and respect sort of rubbing their hands with glee that she basically, her life was being destroyed. And this must be a horrific thing. I mean, I've brushed the edge of it last year um, in bankruptcy and it, it has many wide-ranging effects. I just thought... Do we really need to gloat? You know, isn't that quite toxic for us as well? 
Um, and I just wonder what it is about Twitter that makes us, you know, sort of go to the dark edges mm. to... Well, it's, it's the anonymity of online, isn't it? Some, a few weeks ago, some adventure guy wrote a blog post which really was crass and ridiculous and stupid and kind of comically bad. In what sphere? Well, like an adventure guy oh, like sorry, me okay, was yeah. off doing an adventure and he just wrote this ludicrously... Is that me beeping? Are you? Um, was a ludicrously crass, stupid thing. Anyway, I... I, I read this post that you wrote, I laughed about it in a sort of mocking way myself, and then, so on Twitter everyone else was mocking him and then leapt to his defence, because he's just some young guy doing his best with adventurous stuff, and all of, everyone piling in on him. I know the one you mean, okay. I've read it as well, yeah. Well, everyone piling in on him are my friends, essentially, in his adventure world, and we're all... It was quite self-aggrandising. Yeah, it was ludicrous, it was ludicrous yeah. but you know, he was a young guy, um, he, I don't think he's... Well, what education-wise doesn't matter, but he's getting lambasted by people who've got degrees, who've written books, who are professionals. Also, it was clearly naive what he yeah, was writing. Yeah, so I, I leapt to his defence really because he's just a young guy trying to do his best, and we, it doesn't need to be smacked down by all his peers. So. And it's a really horrible experience. I got trolled last year, and because you remember that every single thing, even though you try not to, you say, "Oh, I'm bothered about that." You know, to, to suddenly have a bit of a pile on, especially people you might respect, it, it's a really, really horrible thing. And and I've seen people on the end of that as well, like known people who've just had a mini pile on. These things just drift. People, it's like gossip; it just sort of comes and goes. <laughs> but but it, it feels like me personally, it felt like the end of the world for a period because it was like it felt like people were everyone hated you, you know, everyone was ripping you apart and then suddenly you get context and at the time I was quite ill, this was about 15 months ago and I just couldn't get a grip of a context for what was, what was happening and it was, it, was, um, it, was, it was horrific to me actually, in the grand scheme of things and the grand, it, how the world turns it's not at all, it's a tiny thing but again it's this interesting thing is everything seems so concentrated on social media and this is why I keep thinking about the toxicity of it um, but I look at you and what you do, whether it's on Instagram or Twitter, and it, you know, it's it's all it is very positive. So maybe I just maybe I just need to be a second you, and then try and sort of body snatch your life or something. And well, no, I definitely wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> all I do on the internet is, if ever I have something angry or annoying or to say, I just try and resist saying it. Right. And then I go for a run until I'm not angry anymore, and then I just say something. Do you nice. literally go for a run? Yeah. Okay. So, but um, occasionally, very occasionally, I get it wrong. So, a few months ago, someone sent me a message online saying, "What well, I get, I get this email a lot." Essentially, saying, "He said, can I grab some of your time to discuss an idea of mine?" And for whatever reason, just that phrase, "grab some of your time," just annoyed me because that's smacked of taking my time without right. respecting it. Which um, my time is my biggest. Yeah, it's the most thing. valuable thing we yeah. have. And that is my real thing I try and protect in life. Mm. So he said this thing, saying, perfectly nicely, can I grab some of your time to discuss X, Y, and Z? Mm. And I put this post up, essentially saying, you can't grab someone's time, you need to respect it, blah, blah, blah. It was interesting, even as I was writing it, alarm bells were jangling in my head. I was thinking, this makes me sound like really obnoxious. But I kept writing, and I sort of edited it. I put it up, and after about 10 minutes, the people were just like, oh! You were, you're meant to be Mr. Nice, what an arrogant person you are, you're so horrible, you change, you're such a diva, blah, 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 blah. In about 10 minutes, literally, I deleted it. And I put up an apology and thought, yeah, actually, I was wrong. And I kind of knew all along. What's interesting, though, is several months later, I put some other post up about whatever, and quite a few comments popped up of, oh, but aren't you the guy who doesn't have time for so-and-so people? Right. So the one tiny little bad thing you do stays in people's memories, long after all the nice type of stuff you do. Yeah, it's yeah. I um, so um, the so I'm building this company at the moment. It's basically making jackets, and I've got this podcast, and this is the currently the third one I've recorded. And I'm sort of thinking, where? How does this relate to jackets? How does it relate to business? And actually, I'm sort of trying to make sure that it it sort of it gels. So this is me sort of thinking out loud, but but basically my obsession is about real life, 
and about real life isn't perfect. So a lot of people thought my life was perfect. People thought, because I was an entrepreneur, I must be rich and have an amazing family. I do have an amazing family. <laughs> they don't sleep and they wake me up and they poo in the wrong places. And, you know, and that's you know. just your wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, you know, nobody's life is perfect. We all have shit to deal with. And, and I, that gets confirmed the more and more I speak to different people. I think because I'm... I'm quite up for sort of. I'm not embarrassed as a man, which is relatively unusual. Or, or do, it, it used to be unusual that as a man you talk about heavy stuff, and people know that I don't like talking about heavy stuff. So people tend to tell me they're heavy stuff, which I, I think is a great compliment. Anyway, so it turns out that everyone has shit to do with. Problem is that most marketing and most social media paints this picture of we're all perfect, and it's not necessarily I think because we are trying to look better than other people I think why would you want to put the fact that you your you know your kid beat up another kid in school or, <laughs> by the way that hasn't happened to my son but if you do um, no but you don't you don't you don't want to put your best foot forward problem is it starts to look cleaned up so people who are more unfortunate see somebody else on Facebook or think they're unfortunate and they go oh my god they've got the perfect life what the hell is my life like my life's a big bag of shit. How, how on earth can I make it better? I'm single or, you know, what, all manner of things that I go through in the head. So I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to be responsible for making people feel, feel bad about themselves. Anyway, long story short, come back to my new company. I thought, if I'm going to do marketing, I'm going to market real life. And the fact that something I discovered through uh, mindfulness, and I think adventuring and escaping and moving and doing things that is a source is a form of mindfulness is it's a form of context mindfulness puts you in the place you are in at the time and you start looking and doing what i did today which is taking lots of photographs of things around me you got to start going oh wow actually the world's pretty beautiful and i've got lots of nice things going on in my life which i should be very grateful for instead of bouncing around in your head as i did last june going oh my god the world's ending because some people said some bad stuff about me i think that was a speech yeah, but. it was a speech. <laughs> I'm listening carefully with the question mark. Yeah, I'm... and then I realised there wasn't a question. I think at this point, somebody needed to tap me on the shoulder and smack me in the face with a hammer. Um, Al certainly wasn't going to do that. He's a very polite man. Um, I think also because I was essentially going into interview mode, which is not my natural place, I ended up just... You know what? I just bollocked it up. Um, so we can all enjoy that now. Um, yeah. I suppose there were lots of poorly formed thoughts there, but one of them is do you. I, I think. So, okay. So it's interesting reading your introduction to. Um, to your micro-adventure book because it really, really chimed with me because I think that people have a view of adventure as being superhuman. Um, and something you say is that actually adventurers are just normal people who get off their arse and get the resources together and go for it. And I really like the fact that you balance this thing of I'm going to give you lots of nice encouragement at the end of the day you're still going to sort your shit out and get on with it. Um, which I think is quite a novel message. Yeah, I think, there's a, I think there are two aspects to, in my world, people doing big adventures. One is to point out that um, it's just normal people who are doing stuff, and therefore anyone, well, with, with the caveats, but essentially anyone could choose to cycle around the world, walk across the desert, whatever like that, if you choose to do it, with the sort of caveats of real life in there as well. Yeah. Um, and and therefore, that then puts some onus on everyone else to say, to not hide behind the excuse that, oh, I'm not a super tough guy, I'm not a genetic Olympian athlete, I'm not a millionaire. Basically, normal kind, normal-ish kind of people can go do adventurous things, which I hope is quite enabling, but also quite bluntly challenging to get people to look at themselves and say can I actually do this or am I making up excuses hiding behind my excuses and wallowing in that quite 
pleasant feeling of thinking, oh, I wish I could do that, but I can't because of blah, 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 I'm blah. I'm so blah, important, blah. I'm so busy, or... Yeah, you know, I'm too poor, I'm too unfit, I'm too busy, whatever the... And just you saying something like, I'm too poor, so this is the sort of thing, if you said that on Twitter, I think you'd probably get grief for, because mm. people pick stuff out, but I know what you mean. So I, my excuse, in inverted commas, is that I do most of the child rearing in our house because my wife's off and away with work, and I'm running a business at the same time. I find I have very little time. But but actually, I'm also in a first world country, living a relatively middle class life, and I chose to do all that stuff. I have ways that I can change those circumstances. And throughout my time running Volpine, which was sort of a big investment, big backing, back to sort of, this is gonna go to a massive place, and it didn't explode it because it was going so fast, basically, that in that world, my fantasy was always the opposite, which was to sit in a hut with no electricity in Norway and just ride my bike around Norway, using that as a base the entire time for six months um, and not have any contact with anyone else apart from to buy fish from fishermen. Uh, and clearly that was a very strong message. Um, and I didn't do that, but when it all went wrong, what I did do is I went back bikepacking around the southwest of England because it was a lower... Uh, risk easier cheaper way of achieving something like that I just found a tiny little Airbnb thing which is basically a fire in a bed and just rode around um, and that I just I did that because that's the thing I craved most was that solitude and ability to basically download a lot of shit which has happened um, so do you do you feel that is your adventuring some sort of intrinsic need or is it the cure for something that happened to you do you think about the origins of your adventuring or is it just a thing that happened and it's just nice um i think probably like most people it's a bit of a mixture of various things really um the the simple nice side of things is that i started adventuring because i wanted to see the world wanted to go to new places and see interesting stuff and learn about the world and I wanted to be a writer therefore I had to have something to write about. Were you encouraged, encouraged or brought up to be like this? No, not really. Perfectly, perfectly nice, happy, normal. Not that I'm looking for some sort of really deep sort of thing <laughs> that happens in your life but, but clearly most people don't do what you do. No. Which is really interesting because of course in your the book I'm referring to all the time anyone what you're saying I, I totally believe this that anyone can do this um, almost anyone I hope but but you did do it and you have been doing it for a long time and I'm wondering why that is whether there's some sort of so I wonder why I want to be an entrepreneur you know why, why do I keep coming back to this you know I'm wondering why you were an adventurer whether you're just always you always um, very interested in the world or wanted to challenge yourself or did it just happen when you were 24 or no so I, nothing crossed my radar really till I finished my A level so until then I was just a completely normal kid doing normal stuff with normal family and uh, when I was when I finished A levels I went off and spent a year in Africa before university and what that did was where in Africa um, a little village in South Africa I was teaching in a school teaching all sorts of things I was totally <laughs> ill prepared to teach I was usually just sort of one page ahead of the kids like teaching accounting and stuff wow. uh, in this little village school so that got me really excited and travelled and seeing the world which happens to loads of young people then at university I was curious about travel because of that and then I, um, I joined the territorial army and from that I really enjoyed running around the hills and suffering and being miserable and I realised I was quite good at I was better at suffering and being miserable than most people. Right. And so that then got me interested in trying to travel the world but in a physically challenging way. Mm. And then I suppose the part of your question that you want <laughs> uh, is that I also had a, a bit of a chip on my shoulder in life uh, from nothing in the least remarkable in life but just from being not very good at anything as a young growing up so I was never in any of the never in any of the teams I was never the cool kid I was pretty clever but I was never the cleverest I was and I was just 
felt quite anonymous and mediocre mm. and I was and I guess by the time I was a student I was feeling ready to just show the world I yeah. could, or show the world and show myself I could do something big and so I was a bit angry so I think it was wanting to see the world enjoying physical challenges and then being a bit angry just made me try and spend four years cycling around the world mm. and that sort of slight chip on my shoulder fueled the fire that set me off doing that and once I'd done that I came back and I felt quite thrilled because suddenly I'd done something remarkable in my life for the first time which marked me out a little bit made me a bit different and I quite enjoyed that feeling and that then set me off wanting to do more adventures and bigger adventures and tough stuff and I spent quite a few years doing big tough adventures until I realised that it was slightly perpetuating this myth that adventure was only for elite tough mm. strong men yeah. which is what I was loving I was loving being part of that world yeah. but I felt slightly disingenuous that actually I was just this normal guy who dared to do it who dared to do it yeah that is the different part but apart from the daring to do it I was just a normal guy who was doing this sort of stuff and I realised that loads and loads of people with normal lives wanted to be out in the outdoors having adventures being up hills but didn't have the time the money the expertise or they thought people like them couldn't do it and that's what made me shrink everything down to to micro adventures it's something having spoken to um, a number of interesting or successful people people who probably stand out um, is there is a common theme so for instance I, I, I work with Chris Hoy for a bit and he's he, very particular about saying I, I wasn't just born with this ability and I just stuck it out there it was extremely hard work and you speak to most athletes and they're very very particular about saying it's the hard work because you might you've got to have an innate ability this doesn't necessarily apply to exploring or if you're fit I'm sure it's help but but it's the will it's the will to keep pushing and pushing and also to push through failure um, and and really it's the psychology behind it but that also makes it sound like you know the these people, Chris Hoy, whoever it might be, were just born with an innate physical and mental ability. But for me, it's just putting one foot in front of the other. So, um, you know, the time and time again, I, I, I'm really... So I, I was a racing cyclist, and I love cycling. You like cycling too. And I used to be obsessed by the real elite side of cycling. I wasn't that good, but I wanted to be that good. And I really, really applied myself. Um, and... And actually I found out that wasn't very good and then I got serious back problems uh, which I eventually recovered from quite a long time later in my, into my 30s but I stopped racing. When I came back I was uh, a normal cyclist and I just liked riding for the sake of riding. did a lot more mountain biking which I found much more friendly than road cycling and what I came to do which I really really enjoyed when I had a bit more time was in my 30s was I taught people how to cycle. Um, I really got a lot from that because I loved watching the upward curve and how that changed the sort of person they were and what they believed they were capable of. You know, it would start off with wobbling and being very unsure about how to use the gears and stuff. And I would say, don't worry, this happens to us all. And then they'd worry about clipping in. And, you know, and this, this curve, with, with this exponential curve would start shooting up into the sky. And the big thing is eventually we'd go, right, we are going to go out from London into the countryside and we're going to do a 50-mile ride. 50 miles seemed like walking to, across Antarctica to them. You could tell they were terrified. And I knew that this was the, the, my favourite bit, was pushing through the envelope. And you get 15 miles, 20 miles in, and you could tell that they were getting intimidated by what they were going to do. And, you know, basically, there's this sort of tricky moment where do you shout at someone or push someone? Usually you can just get them to keep going. And they get back, and they go, oh my God, I didn't stop on that hill, and I feel great now, and all this kind of stuff comes. And you can see a light goes on. And I always say that's the point that I don't basically need to do anything anymore. So they suddenly go, I'm capable of more than I thought I was. Yes. And that, for me, is... I keep going off in these speeches today, but that, for me, is really, really interesting because I, I have two sort of charitable interests. One is something that's quite current, which is about mental health, because it's quite present for me, you know, last year, and uh, something that's very relevant to what Fram is, about real life and about celebrating small things. And the other one is about giving people the best opportunities in life, whether it's children who come from disadvantaged backgrounds and how you can help them. And um, I'm hoping to do a couple of things about that in the future. But also adults. It's, it's almost assumed you get to adulthood and suddenly it's like, right, all the decisions are yours, go off, off you go. And you, <laughs> people just sit on the sofa. Sitting on the sofa for me is a terrible criminal 
waste of a human being. So uh, more people should ride 50 miles or go on a micro-adventure or ride around the world because that's amazing. Yeah, and one of the, thi- one of the big things that um, those adventures did for me was to change my mindset from, think- from having a bit of a chip on my shoulder thinking I'm not really as good at anything as I would like to be. Think, wow, I've now done something big. If I've done that, what else can I do? If yeah. I've done that, what else can I do? And I think that's the great thing of the micro-adventures is if you go sleep on a hill this weekend you do it, you realise you can do it, you enjoy it, then you think, oh, what can I do next weekend and next weekend? And then you start planning for a week in the Alps and then little by little you're on your way. So I think so often we hear about, as adults, we should have big dreams and big visions and big ambitions, especially if we're lucky enough to be educated, middle class and stuff, we kind of feel we should be taking over the world, which Mm. is very exciting, but quite daunting and difficult. Mm. And therefore, often you then just think, oh, I can't really be bothered so I'll just watch telly. Yeah. Whereas the thing that's really changed for me was uh, having these big ideas, thinking of exciting things and then just thinking of a really tiny, tiny, tiny thing you can go and do today yeah. to start it. And then you build up some momentum, some confidence and then it starts to gather some momentum. And that's really been good for me in my own personal life. Cool. Um, let's have a break and see if you want to drink and stuff. So uh, we've got another drink, I've got a ginger beer because it's the middle of Monday afternoon and I'm, I'm weak and you're on a, an indeterminate number of pints. Yeah, which, is, which is because I'm incredibly weak. My problem is once I start, like everything I do in life, when I start I go big, which is a terrible habit when it comes to alcohol. I would never normally drink alcohol on a Monday afternoon, but you encouraged me. Okay. Fair and enough. now I'm quite enjoying it. Fair, fair comment. Um, I, it's funny that you talk about, I think I'm the same, so you're different from me, but there are similarities that I, I think that my adventure, my challenge, I really enjoy challenging myself, doing things I thought I, didn't, thought I couldn't do, and starting a business is one of them. I don't quite realise how challenging it is until you get into it. And what's interesting for me is that coming out of the back of that, is I realise I'm quite good at some aspects of that, and other things I really need to improve upon. What I've also realised is actually it is much harder than I thought it was going to be, and it isn't all fun, and it can be quite toxic and corrosive potentially in various ways. So now Fram is built to not be toxic, or the least toxic um, possible. But the sort of struggle I'm having at the moment is that um, it is that something that Volpine was driven off was just a sheer will to keep driving and driving and driving, hours, 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 all the time. And actually, because I'm not or can't do that from, so I pick up, I drop off my kids, and I pick up my kids, and I look after them, all this kind of stuff, and I'm sort of looking after myself, and therefore looking after my family by being healthy and then being healthy, blah, 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 all this kind of mixes. I just find it really difficult to do it. So, so again, it's like a statement, but I, um, <laughs> it's, a, it's sort of a question. But this isn't an interview; it's a chat. But the, so the micro adventure book, which I. Every time I speak about it, I have to hold it. Um, is it's got a nice cover. Shiny. It has got. It's got lots of nice things, uh, and I would recommend it. And this isn't a plug. I genuinely am inspired by it. Is I thought, right? I'm really struggling. First of all, to to get on top of it. So, so something I think I'm good at is marketing and creating content, all that kind of stuff. Something I'm not so good at is admin. So what I've done is I've tended to concentrate on admin because I want to nail that. But actually, that doesn't really do anything. You know, it just needs to be done. Um, so, so actually, I just need to do a lot more of letting people in the world know that I make jackets. So, I was thinking, what is this thing about real life, and and also about these jackets enabling real adventures? So, real adventures for me is similar but different. Yours, yours are of what I'd call adventures with the Catalan, classic adventures, which is go out into the countryside or the wilderness and do something where you're not engaged to the internet or electricity or you know you're doing some night you know some classic thing but for me adventuring could be setting up your own business or it could be going to a scary interview or having a baby or you know something that's much wider a sort of slightly fey concept maybe but 
I think that for me I'm just fascinated by these moments of joy creating moments of joy because life is generally sometimes there's some shit really nasty things you have to deal with a lot of the time you're fairly mundane just necessary things to deal with and occasionally these things that you look back on your life oh my god I did that you know those are the things I'm interested in um, and so I thought okay what I've been inspired to do by Al is I'm going to once a week I'm going to spend a day either finding someone to do it and they can talk about it or I will do it is do an adventure and now I've got to work out what those things are. An obvious adventure is I really, really want to go to the Brecon Beacons because the last time I went there was a long time ago. I absolutely adored it. I, I really like wet, um, green places. And Wales is good for that. Yeah. I, I'm just one of those people who doesn't mind the rain and I just really like really verdant landscapes. So I want to do something there. But I really would need to... Now I need to do adventures that so are really quite different. So when are you going to do that then? Okay, good. Challenge. Um... So I you like Brecon Beacons and you like bikes, here's a good day is to go to Wales to do um, to Bike Park Wales. Have you been there? It's downhill no. downhill mountain bike park. That's not Cody Brennan, is it? No, it's in uh, Merthyr It's an okay. old reclaimed quarry. It's yeah. brilliant because you get the... Uh, <laughs> I felt this was uh, cheating at first, but I quickly came around. You get a minibus to the top, zoom downhill, minibus to the top, zoom back down. Yeah. Um, and you get a day pass, and it's one of the most fun days out that I know. And then I, I'm so okay. Here's my excuse. Wait, hang on. You can't use excuse yet because I'm finished. And then, <laughs> and then from there, you then walk because it's where well, you drive because it's not very far at all. And you go walk up to the top of Penifan. Okay. And camp up on top of there. Okay. And that's second part good. First part bad. Um, so I used to do a lot of mountain biking, and actually I'm going to do mountain biking for the first time in ages with the chap who's the model for the front jacket on the website, Chris, on Wednesday. I thought he was you, by the way, on the website. Oh, well, thank you very you much. You him. Much better looking than me, but thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that's because I've grown a grey beard. But, yeah, I think that's it. Um, but no, we're going to go mountain biking, because he, he's a mate, and um, he sort of encouraged me to do that. And that's a mini adventure. We're going to go out from Bristol and do some stuff. It's not like a big deal but as you say in your book it doesn't need to be like an incredible sort of hike the Atlas Mountains for three months thing but um, but I go Brecon's is the next one but I don't want to so I'm doing the job of being the normal person at Commerce it's not as driven as you because I see this segue between the two is I, I'm definitely so, someone who doesn't spend a lot of time on the sofa and I'm always doing but at the same time I also have a lot of excuses uh, and I hopefully am quite uh, honest about that with myself and I'm not sure if they're good excuses so my excuse for not doing downhill is because my spine is a lattice work of little shards of bone which is why I had to stop racing and so I'm terrified of crashing so I don't want to do downhill okay, that's fine, they do have, may blue, I, they may do I, have blue runs um, I'm a total <laughs> wimp I went hammering down the runs there at Bike Park Wales and you know how gradually as you ride your bike more you get to the flow of it you get the corners right mm -hmm. and by the end of the day I had to say I'm not an athlete at all but by the end I was going so fast I thought I'm probably almost international standard here <laughs> I really was going so fast I'm so brave and then I looked on Strava and I realised no I'm really not brave or fast at but, all but for you but I was loving it yeah. Yeah. So there you are, you go down a blue run gently. Or okay. skip that bit out and just go up Penavan. No, no, go no. up Penavan. So I, I was quite a scaredy kid. And one of the... So I talked about this in my second podcast with Matt Stevens. And I, I don't want to bang out about this. Probably people will roll their eyes. But a really formative moment for me was having a gun to point to my head in Manchester. Um, shit, I'm not supposed to say Manchester. Anyway, so um, having a gun put to my head in a place because... Um, because I basically reacted in a way that uh, I didn't expect and I basically it suddenly gave me a lot of self-respect I thought oh my god if I can if I can stand up to somebody's dangerous as that then I could do anything and my life suddenly became much brighter for that weirdly and I, I'm, I'm obsessed by this moment because I see it as a very very pivotal adult moment and also quite surprising really that that I've seen people, and I would have probably predicted I'd be crushed under the weight of that event, but instead it became a really positive driving force for my life. Um, that's probably because I didn't really respect myself, because I would always back out of stuff. And suddenly I backed into the scariest thing I could imagine. Um, not that I 
chose to, it just happened to me. So, so now I'm interested because my excuses are family, money, life, busy, mainly busy. And I read your introduction and I just thought, shit, maybe those excuses aren't good enough anymore. <laughs> and you're nodding, basically going, no, they're not. <laughs> so, I'm very good at writing introductions to books, less than good at doing it myself, but... How often do you adventure? Well, how we... You've <laughs> got a helicopter and How we, def- how we define adventure. So, part of what you've been saying, I completely agree that adventure is more of an attitude as much as anything. So, if that's setting up a business or learning the violin or whatever it is, that's all fine. Because you bust across... Spain? Yes, right. yeah, deliberately so, because I've been, I personally believe that it's great for people to do physical adventures, so stuff that tires you out, scares you a bit, makes you get a bit muddy and tired. Mm. I think that's brilliant for mind, body and spirit. But equally, there's plenty of other ways to push yourself. For example, I got a bit, I realised that I, just through experience, I'm now quite good at walking a hundred miles or sleeping in a ditch or being rained on I've done that a lot Mm. and if you do something a lot you get good at it and therefore you lose that jolt of uncertainty Mm. and it becomes familiar and I realized that for me if I suddenly said I'm going to cycle to China tomorrow that wouldn't be adventurous for me that would be copping out and taking the easy option because I know I can do it and actually much more adventurous therefore was me learning the violin for the first time ever and having to stand up in villages in Spain and play the violin if I was going to eat. So I walked for a month through Spain with no money, no credit card, purely dependent upon busking and it absolutely terrified me and that felt hugely adventurous. Um, so the the definition of adventure I think is quite broad. Yeah, it, it's challenging yourself, I guess. Yeah, challenging yourself and scaring yourself and being willing to fail being willing to look like a fool being willing to be out of your depth because because it really made me think because um, you put out on Twitter can you have a look at this basically edit which was of that the film of you going across Spain and um, and I had a look at it and I just thought it was brilliant because it was a redefinition of what I thought of as adventure my classic adventure is you know North Pole blah blah and um and suddenly, actually, I did think that was a new level of terrifying. And I thought it was it was funny and sweet and inspiring seeing you trying to learn the violin. And you didn't nail it, but you got <laughs> yeah. pretty good, but not great, if I may say so. No, I didn't get that. pretty good. I definitely didn't. That I was really bad, but I got good enough to earn all the money I needed but for a the month. The point was you just did it anyway. You yeah. got to the point you could have got to, yeah. and you just went. And I did think, oh, God, is he good enough to do it? But you just <laughs> went there. And what I really liked as well was, first of all, I could see the fear of you doing that. I could feel that because <laughs> I'd find yeah. that really scary. And I thought oh, I'd much rather um, walk 100 miles yes. you know, through the Sahara than do yeah, that. Yeah. And, but also I just loved people's reactions. It was just so sweet. you know. Uh, and that's something that I also love about travel or whatever it might be, and, is you just meet people and your, your faith in people is renewed all the time. That's true, but it's also a very good demonstration of what you asked me about right at the very start, which was in terms of me being completely honest and flippant and a bit daft and whatever, stupid, is that I stood up in these squares in Spain and I started playing the violin and I was so nervous because I was so bad, but everyone watching and walking past, they saw this guy and they thought, he's a foreign guy and he's really bad at the violin, (laughs) but he's giving it a go and he's doing it with a smile on his face I've good no idea why yeah. good on him here's 50 cents yeah. 10 people give you 50 cents you can live like a king so that was so liberating Was like I stood there and I just said this is my vulnerability I'm so vulnerable here this is I'm giving you what I've got and people respond to that and it's actually then quite empowering you show the world your weaknesses and it's not a weakness anymore it's a strength and it was just such a thrill then to to do that, to stand up in Spain, play my violin, and to make it, well, I only made it for a month, but I know now that I could walk around the world playing the violin. I suppose the point is that, not because you can play the violin, because you can just, you can do something, you can try something, and people will kind of respect you for it, or engage with it. Exactly, people respect you for trying, for trying your best, for, for 
acknowledging your vulnerabilities and and uh, and just for yeah for trying that's it really I suppose it's a bit with a like smile on your face communicating in a language you don't know it's, it's if you try and you smile and you're humble then people will help you out yeah but if you're, you're arrogant and standoffish and demand to be heard in English or whatever people will go well sod you yes yeah it's only a, a human connection whether that's through being playing a violin or sending an email newsletter it's just trying to well, as you've said, be real, really, isn't it? Um, this is potentially a difficult question, so we can sideswipe it, but how does your family feel about your inventory? Uh, they, they used to think that uh, it was... Um, that I should probably have been doing something more proper jobbish in life, but now I've got to the point where I earn a living, I pay my taxes, and I'm doing what I enjoy, then they're fine with it, really. Cool. And what, what family do you have? Uh, so, wife, kids, or yeah, wife, kids, mum, dad, brother. Oh right, cousins, yeah, <laughs> whole shebang, and no, none of them really are in the adventure world at right. all. Um, so uh, yeah, it's all very normal, but they think I'm a bit weird. And I think you use that word a lot, uh, normal, because I think it's something you're always trying to do. You know, adventuring is to put in a normal space, an accessible space, rather than saying putting yourself or other people putting you on a pedestal. It's very easy to do, and it comes back to the same theme all, all the time as adventuring, being this otherworldly thing that uh, a bit like F1 driver or something like that that only the elite can do. And again, I'm an old bloke, I've got a family, but I do this stuff, and yeah, isn't it great? Well, I think for a few years, I really wanted adventuring to be elite and hardcore. Yeah. And in the dream world, I'd have been a professional sportsman, but I was rubbish. So, the next thing I could do was go and do tough adventures and then portray them, not a myth, but slightly build up the fact look, I'm doing this really tough stuff that you normal people can't do. And I really enjoyed that for a while because it made me feel important. And I suppose the benefit of that was it was very good for my self confidence, my self worth. And at that point, at some point, then you feel confident enough about yourself to say, actually, all this I've been saying about me being amazing right. isn't true. And anyone can go that's also that a generational thing, I think, or a, a, a time up. of life. Yeah. Growing up, yeah. yeah. Growing up, becoming so being self-confident with what I've achieved. I feel good about myself now, and also, yeah, you're right. Growing up a bit, not needing to pretend to be someone else so much. And then the interesting side is that the more I just talk about being normal and not exceptional the more people respect me which is nice it's a double win-win that's really interesting I sort of raised my eyebrows there because I think the traditional thing to do is talk about this incredible human being yeah. you know in whatever thing you're awarding someone for or, or you know a documentary or whatever it might be this incredible human being something we can look up to but the problem with looking up to really people you should look up to are people who inspire you to do something rather than people you look up to go well, they're pretty amazing. Oh, well. <laughs> well, I do, I do quite a lot of speaking at events. That's my one of my main things. And mm. Quite often I'm at an event where there's some sort of Olympian gold medal cut in the person. And I love listening to their talks because they're amazing. Wow, winning the Olympics. Wow. And then I think, well, that's utterly irrelevant to my life because I have got a terrible lung capacity. I'll never win Olympic gold at rowing or something. And so what I try and do in my talks is to be is to deliberately and very vocally be ordinary person saying ordinary person choosing to try and do stuff that's not so ordinary. We were then interrupted by an alcoholic chap um, who was obviously um, not in a good way and for the first time in this podcast I've decided to cut that bit out um, and end the podcast there without saying bye-bye which is a shame but I don't think we need to hear somebody else's pain and dwell on that uh, alcohol can be as rubbish as it can be good uh, we know that um, and that's the thing about <laughs> recording podcasts in a pub and deciding to do that and doing it in situ is sometimes it goes wrong it went sort of wrong in an interesting ish way last week um, and then uh, this week I think it was a bit much so um, I hope you enjoyed that um, Al Humphreys is a really interesting guy and I'm genuinely inspired to do adventures and I, in fact I've written it in that every month I will go and do a mini adventure um, and hopefully I'll stick with, to that and you can poke me in the ribs if I don't 
Um, thank you very much as ever to David for his editing skills. Um, please do follow us and review us and share this podcast if you like it. And if you don't, uh, please don't. And I'm very sorry to hear that. Um, and um, thank you very much. Uh, take care and go and do some exploring and stuff. That'd be great. Take care. Bye.